Hey, it's your old pal Slim, and you're listening to Faves, an upbeat talk show where the guest chooses a topic. And in this episode, for the first time ever, we have an album. Ian DeBorja is the Twitch community manager at IMDb, and he also hosts his own podcast focused on Asian Americans in pop culture called Rice for Breakfast. We talked about his all-time favorite album, Abbey Road, from the Beatles. It was their final recorded album together, and it was released in 1969. You've most likely seen the cover of them walking across the street, and probably absolutely have heard music from this album, maybe Here Comes the Sun, or Come Together. We also discuss his musical roots, being in a band, and his favorite movies of the past year. Enjoy! I think this is the first time I ever listened to a Beatles album. Are you serious? Dead serious. Like in completion or? Just totalities, like even one. I grew up not being a Beatles fan. Wow. For someone who appreciates music as much as you, I'm surprised that it just never uh, came across as something interesting you wanted to dive into. That's. Well, I think I grew up with like strict stuff i liked and then i I think i must have known people when i was younger that was like oh you gotta listen to the beatles they're the greatest band of all time greatest musicians and i was like nah leave me alone dweeb and i must have (laughs) had like you know preconceived notion i mean 35 years later i finally listened i think that's the beauty of the beatles too right and depending on who you talk to especially when they're trying to get you into it um they'll introduce you to a completely different they can introduce you to a completely different part of the beatles i mean they did more in 10 years in their albums than bands do in their whole careers, right? I mean... Even in, like, one album, there's, like, seven... I mean, it's, like, the the tracks at the end of this album are shorter, like, they're part of a medley, but 17 tracks on this album, and I'm like, oh, my God, what am I getting into listening to this album on Spotify (laughs) right now? That's why I love it so much, especially, I mean, the... The mythos behind Abbey Road also gets me all like excited just thinking about it. Like this was the last album they recorded as a band, but not that last album they actually released. And so by this point, they all hated each other. And so, you know, in my opinion, the best Beatles record came at the height of their like hatred for each other and dislike of each other, which shows so much of how talented uh, of musicians and like virtuosos they all were. I think they're all like the top of their game on this album. Uh, you know, Lennon, Harrison, McCartney, and, and Starr, all of them put out their best work in different ways on this. And it's just mm-hmm. like, man, I mean, give me that medley. And and you're right. Like every song on this album sounds different, right? Like, Yeah. And it, I even, I looked up a little bit on, you know, the kind of backstory that you mentioned and just reading about how, you know, Harris, like this was Harrison's song or... Mm-hmm. Uh, Lennon didn't want to work on this McCartney song like he listened to it and decided he wanted no part of it just hearing like that kind of weird back and forth like you don't really hear that kind of stuff in modern day musicians or like popular musicians right or uh, I mean a lot of bands now uh, they're kind of they have a lead singer who does their part and they all have like their individual parts but the beauty of the Beatles is that they could all write together and they could write separate, and regardless of who's writing what, they would come together and, and come together, ha, huh. <laughs> <laughs> and, and do it anyway, right? I mean, you know, the the medley, uh, the the first three or four songs are written by John Lennon, and then the end is all by McCartney, but combined, they all sound like, 
you know, they could be written by by one guy. It's, mm-hmm. it's nuts. And this was kind of, you know, I sound like such a musical noob when I say like, I don't even think I remember. I don't think I've ever listened to an album that had a medley in it. There's probably like every album in the top 20 albums of all time probably has a medley in it and I've never <laughs> listened to them. But listening to this, I was kind of like going through the some articles that like broke down each song. Mm-hmm. And who was the producer of the album? Was it Martin? Yeah, George Martin. George Martin. The fifth Beatle. He passed away a couple couple years ago. I have read the fifth Beatle comic book, so give me some credit. Oh, there we go, yeah. <laughs> but he kind of like smartly wanted the band to think smartly about putting the medley together at the end. Like he wanted to force them to kind of like think intelligently about the music. And I was like s- sitting back and you are more knowledgeable at the Beatles, but like, how do you even get to the point where you have pieces of music that you're like, let's turn this into a medley. Are the songs just like not cohesive enough to make the final cut where the band is like, well, we've got 10 songs. Let's see what we can put this together in like a a nine minute riff or how does that even work? (laughs) I think it goes a bunch of different ways. Like when they were recording again, they didn't like spending too much time with each other. And this is my kind of speculation, but Mm. uh, the opening song on the medley, because the one with the um, all the you know all the the nine part vocals, mm-hmm. uh, like John Lennon heard Yoko Ono playing Beethoven in the studio and was like, play that backwards, and he just like wrote a song off of it. And so I think their minds were just working together, whether or not they appreciated it or, or wanted to be doing so. They're all able to put together these ideas. And then, you know, maybe the idea of doing things short and then combining them came as a result of them not wanting to be in the studio together. Um, but I don't know, it, it, it just works so perfectly, especially the the uh, the end. I mean, from Golden Slumbers, Carry That Weight, and The End, I think uh, most people consider like one song, basically. Mm-hmm. just like the poetry of that song is is incredible uh the end is actually the last song they recorded as a foursome and um you know from what i've read like on whatever books i've collected over the years about the beatles when they recorded it so at the end the th- it starts off with the you know ringo star drum solo and then it goes in the trading guitar solos of paul george and john and uh i love it because when you hear it and if you really like study the beatles you can you know who is playing what and like kind of where their heads were at like Mm. paul's a little more straightforward uh george is much more bluesy and then john lennon just comes in like ripping without distortion they end with like the line of uh, and in the end the love you make is equal to the love you take which has been like their ethos as a band i think even as they drifted in in different directions uh that was still like at the core of their music um and so you know and and again that was like the last thing they did and from all accounts i think george martin said 
watching them record those solos it was like it was back when they were recording their first album just the mm. four of them just like loving it and trying to outdo each other on the souls and stuff it's uh i don't know i get like chills thinking about now i'm just seeing just. you get emotional over there it's making me <laughs> emotional <laughs> one thing i want to say before i forget because i know i will but i didn't make a note of it there was one part in the story of the construction of this album where yoko got sick and I guess she was like always in the studio watching the recording at this point and <laughs> yeah. she needed to be bedridden. Yeah. So John Lennon built a bed into the studio for her <laughs> to watch recording yeah. while she was in a bed. I just started cracking up. Yeah, there's this really hard to find documentary. Uh, it's called Let It Be, actually. And it was about, um, they originally filmed the documentary about recording the album let it be and then if you watch it it actually is clearly the filming of the band's demise and so you can see little things in there um you see yoko like hanging around obviously in the studio a lot there's this really really uh adorable part where uh ringo star who wrote octopus's garden he's kind of sitting down like plunking away <laughs> at like the the parts and george harrison sitting there like you know maybe you should try this chord and this one and it kind of gives you good insight but you can like feel the tension uh and i and on YouTube, there's a, I think it's their Oscar uh, acceptance for best soundtrack or best song for Let It Be. I think it's uh, McCartney just walks up, like takes the Oscar and just like walks off. And, you know, he just, <laughs> all right, thanks. Like, <laughs> I'm out of here. Uh, yeah, it, it's crazy. Weird. So this is the first time I listened to it, but when was the first time you had ever listened to it? And what was this, what was the situation? What was the experience like? I, so my dad introduced me to the Beatles at a really young age. Uh, with the Beatles, with the Chipmunks play the Beatles. So my first experience was with those uh, <laughs> Chipmunks in really high voices singing uh, older Beatles songs. My dad was a really big, basically pre-Revolver guy. So he liked more of the love songs and the acoustic, uh, more straightforward stuff. And so I actually didn't really get into some of the uh, farther, like down the line Beatles until I was like a senior in high school and uh, and then really in the college and I actually kind of funny listened to Abbey Road in like different parts. And then kind of similar to you, when I put it all together, it made, you know, it made complete sense. Like I remember listening mm -hmm. to Golden Slumbers as an individual song, not really realizing I'm supposed to go into carry that weight and the end. Yeah. Um, and so when I kind of put it all together, I had like, you know, my mind blown. Uh, but, and this is going to be, I was, I had this in my notes and I was kind of dreading saying this on a recording, but <laughs> If you have the opportunity, uh, and if people have the opportunity, I would try and listen to Abbey Road on vinyl because mm. <laughs> um, the song I Want You, She's So Heavy, that seven minute, just like insane Lennon track, that's actually yeah. the end of side A. And so, and then side B opens up with Here Comes the Sun. And so when you're listening to it on Spotify, it kind of runs straight through. But if you take the time to listen to it on vinyl, or I guess pause it on Spotify, you kind of get a different different feel for the album. It's like, you know, here comes this insane seven minute song with the repeating uh, synths and distortion to end the first half. And then it cuts kind of randomly in the middle of the, of the measure. And then you have to stand up, flip the record over. And then here comes in, here comes the sun. And it's like a totally different experience too. Um, but yeah, so you, I kind of lose that. You lose that. I, I otherwise never would experience that. And I was, curious because as i was reading about the album after my first listen through it talks about like this was the last song on you know side one and then you flip mm -hmm. it over and that entire experience 
is lost to yes. you know an entire generation of people experiencing this music. It's crazy. Yeah, and you know the the Beatles and George Martin, the producer, they were so meticulous and experimental with their stuff that they did it on purpose, right? Like, I mean, the most jarring song on the record into uh, you know the most beautiful song on the record. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it's crazy that when they took the time to think of that sort of stuff. And I wish, uh, you know, it works on an album like this where you have four different songwriters all in different spaces, like in where they are musically. And then they just figure out a way, like I said, just to make all these seemingly random songs work so cohesively and like make sense. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I did like that song. Um, and that was Lennon, right? Yes. I guess it was. Yeah. Yep. I think I've been gravitating more towards the Lennon uh, songs in this record. Mm-hmm on first listen through. So what happened after you listened to it for the first time? Did you end up kind of digging through the the discography or did you eventually come back to it? Yeah, so again, I had been really into like the acoustic stuff. And then uh, when I really got into Beatles again, I had gotten um, very into like music theory. So I had been taking music theory classes for years and sort of understanding like the science behind like why music works. And uh, my mom for Christmas bought me this uh, this book that says it's the scores of the Beatles and it just has all their uh, notation of like the strings, the horns, guitars, wow. vocals, chord progressions. And so I actually remember, you know, getting really into listening to Abbey Road specifically over and over and just like reading through the notation, trying to figure out like what they were doing and why things uh, work so well because they do, you know, stuff that, you know, obviously, you know, music does not do today at all. And mm-hmm. so it was, it's, it's cool to hear it and see how things work. And even in, a lot of like musical theory ways uh some things you don't hear things a lot like uh key changes george harrison uses quite a bit especially on something and then here comes the sun you don't really hear in music and so kind of seeing how it all laid out on paper was like really really interesting to me and so i, I went through like the most awful awful beatles face <laughs> just like <laughs> listening honestly i i think i listened to the beatles exclusively for probably six months in a row oh my gosh and yeah i know i must have been a nightmare you're the kind of to. person that probably turned me off to the beatles in yeah high yeah school. i mean the reason i didn't listen to them for 15 20 years <laughs> yeah i mean honestly this is probably why it was but uh i don't know i i don't take it back <laughs> you talked about music theory is that when it started for you to have a desire to be a musician at that stage like what did that come into play around that same time so I have always really been into music. Um, from when I was a kid, I was always like singing and playing like the piano and stuff like that. But I never, you know, I was in marching band and all that sort of stuff. But I never really got like seriously into music until um, unt- until about high school, and that's when it's sort of my uh, when I started looking at music. There, I sort of appreciated it in like a completely different way. Um, not that people who don't listen to music theory can appreciate it like that's obviously not what i'm saying but just the way i sort of started like listening to things um it it sort of changed the way i view it like i'm really really bad with lyrics uh my wife tara who is can like remember lyrics off the top of a hat uh songs i've listened to a million times i actually like don't don't know the words to because Mm -hmm. i just like focus in on like what's going on in the background um so it kind of just changed the way i like listen to it a little bit and again which is why a albums that are like super dense like this keep me coming back like for more and more what do you, what do you think your top song from the album is oh here comes the sun that's the, uh, the greatest song of all time my god really yeah. i mean everything about it it's just like again i think a part of abbey road is understanding like the myth behind it all right like mm-hmm. 
there's a lot of negativity in the band. Uh, and, and, and George Harrison writes this song of positivity, like here comes the sun, he just wants everything in his life to be a positive space. And you can just hear it. Uh, and you know, the second that guitar comes in with like the, the melody, I just get like chills every time. And, and then it actually has my favorite part on, on the whole album. Like, the, so the bridge in that song, where it goes like, sun, 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 here it comes. And then it repeats over and over. Uh, if Next time you listen to it, which hopefully will be soon, uh, the bridge actually, every time they play it, they add something new to it. So the first time it's just a guitar, and then they add a synth line to it, and then they add... Uh, a flute and then like a vocal part and so it just builds and builds and builds on the same melody and I think that like uh, it's a perfect musical representation of what a sun rising is like it starts mm-hmm. off as this little thing and then it keeps adding more and more and more and then it comes into the final verse and it's just like uh, George it's getting, it's getting real deep right now yeah I've told I have like a deep affair with these guys <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of some of, if I were to pick a favorite song, I'm um, going through my notes. I wrote very like in the moment notes yeah. uh, for some of these songs where uh, I think the first one come together, I wrote, okay, I've heard this, not too bad. Right. <laughs> Something I wrote, this is good, now we're cooking. <laughs> and then uh, Maxwell's Silver Hammer, I specifically wrote down granny music. Can I take you out to the pictures but as she's getting ready to go a knock comes on the door bang bang that's well because that's what like the band called the song when they were in like the studio right uh and i agreed too i was like this i don't i don't like this this is this is this is what i would consider granny music (laughs) Yeah. So how do you look back on on songs like that in this album? I guess maybe you have like a fondness for them for their place in the entire collected Abbey right. Road. Is that right. true? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't just turn on Maxwell Silverhammer <laughs> when when I like want to listen. To <laughs> right. That that yeah. comes on and you allow it to happen until yeah. Yeah, you get yeah. to the next song. But again, you know, I think in the context of the album, it, it is a cool song to hear. Again, it, it, for some reason, like works in in my in my head it works i love that they use like a hammer sound to to represent like what's going on in the song but yeah it it's a it's a, it's a grandpa song i, I see that mm-hmm. but yes and something uh something yes very good oh darling i th- i wrote i think i like this um mm-hmm. octopus's garden which is ringo's song <laughs> uh you know su- supporting supporting actor in the ensemble <laughs> I'll nicely say in an octopus's garden in the shade he'd let us in knows where we've been in his octopus's so that song I actually listen to on occasion shade. really it's, it's a fun song you know like uh, and again the story behind that was Ringo was on a I want to say Eric Clapton's boat. I, I'm not 100% sure what's Eric Clapton's boat. It was some other famous person's boat. 
<clears throat> and he like thought in his head, why can't the Beatles be as happy as like the, the octopus uh, in, in the ocean? And then he came up with, <laughs> with this song. Vintage Ringo. Right, My entire right. Ringo star knowledge essentially comes from the simpsons just like his <laughs> his appearance in the episode where he's reading his fan mail and he finally opens marge's letter after like 15 years uh that's all i know about ringo i want you which you talked about i really enjoyed that one it was like b- almost bluesy in mm-hmm. its sound mm-hmm. um i really enjoyed that and then like so when i first opened up the album in spotify it's like you know 17 or so tracks and i was like man this is this is there's a lot going on here like I, people make these big albums and i almost felt um you know that i was like missing out on that experience of just kind of putting on a record we have a record player in the house we just got one but we don't i don't obviously don't have abbey road but it feels like an entire experience was just missed from not being able to just put it on, sit there and just kind of listen and, you know, maybe look at the back of the album. I don't even think there was liner notes on maybe the songs that were included, but um, it just kind of bummed me out that like, I'm just kind of zipping through Spotify looking at, you know, track listings and right. oh, this, is, this one's kind of short. This one's kind of short or whatever. And it's kind of funny. Like, so the first time I, I heard this was on a CD, right? And uh, the CD player I had didn't have like, uh, immediate playthrough like there was like a two second or three second gap in between songs mm. so even that uh again when i put it on a record i got a completely different experience especially for the medley at the end right like it doesn't feel the same when you're you hear a, a minute long song and then a two second break and then another yeah. minute long song right especially when they all like blend in together so well um but yeah i mean there's like a a, a beauty behind i think having the tangible um like experience of music Mm -hmm. like um you know i guess especially in particular on older records right where there was a side a and there was uh, a a side b producers and stuff were very specific into what tracks went on which side and again yeah it's it's lost when you have the ability just to to, to skip around and um Mm -hmm. you know i think another record like that is pet sounds uh by the beach boys incredibly dense album one of my favorites also but uh, same thing i think if you listen to that you know individually you don't you know you don't get the full experience of what uh brian wilson the beach Mm. boys was really going for there do you have like a big record collection at home i have a decent uh i'm I'm looking at it right now there's uh, probably like 50 or 60 oh yeah i mean that's way more than most yeah yeah, i would say so the medley start i've essentially moved over to side two and let's see i think it starts and so we go because to you never give me your money, which I liked. I wrote it not bad. Starts off mm-hmm. weird, yep. Which I think I wrote starts off weird, which is the medley starts off weird because it's because <laughs> the one that's like the weird Lennon, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. kind of experimental song. Yeah, that, and it that's sounds what I meant. crazy because like they record. So it's only Lennon, McCartney, and Harrison singing, but they each record their vocals three times, um, and so it just sounds like a you know chorus of people, and so it kind of gives it that spacey feel and the guitar mm-hmm. parts it just repeating over and over it all adds to that creepy um <laughs> the sun king yeah. uh i just also wrote weird. That, yeah i wrote slower <laughs> um i don't remember this song but my note for me mr mustard was song i don't like <laughs> i don't know so, if that was another ringo star one or what was happening there. 
so it's funny. So Mean Mr. Mustard and Polythene Pan, uh, Polythene Pam are both Lennon songs, but to me they sound like um, Maxwell's Silver Hammer. They have the tone is a little goofier. I mean, Lennon was always much better with his like, um, like avant-garde lyrics, and so I think it comes through a bit more in those. But you know, they're, they're kind of both goofy songs in the middle of it all. So I always think it's funny when I hear Lennon really, really hated Maxwell Silverhammer, and then these kind of pop in the middle. Uh, but again, I don't just put on Polythene Pam <laughs> yeah. when I'm listening. Yeah, she came in through the bathroom window. Uh, I wrote also good the guitars. Mm. Mm-hmm. So I, I like the guitars on that one. Yep. Yeah. It's a great song. And then we're getting near the end, Golden Slumbers. Um, what, are your, what are your thoughts on the, on the final few? So again, yeah, I, I love the, the final three songs. Again, I think it's the perfect way to end uh, the Beatles' career. Not their record production, obviously, but, but the Beatles' career as a band and recording is just the perfect way to do it. Um, you know, every member has their moment. Uh, uh, the you know the end has George uh, has Ringo's only drum solo, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. and all the Beatles and they save it till the very end there. And then again, I talked about the dual and guitar solos and the lyrics of it. Um, you know, it, it's all great. And I, I've actually been lucky enough to see Paul McCartney a couple times live, and mm-hmm. he ends his shows with Golden Slumbers, Carry That Weight, and the end. And it's just like ah, just magic. How were those shows? Unreal. I mean, really? I'm, yeah. Uh, the first time I saw them was at a music festival in San Francisco, and uh, you know, my m- me and my friends we were camped out at the main stage like all day. We were maybe twenty to fifty feet away from the front. You know, it was so cool seeing so many people watching. But m- my favorite part is like a couple minutes into the first song, uh, I kind of hear people talking behind me, and I turn around, and it's this guy with his. I'm assuming grandma on his shoulders and she had a sign that said, uh, Paul, I saw you in San Francisco in 1964. And then he was just like carrying her through the crowd oh and everyone was part of the ways to get her to the front and seeing stuff like that. It's like, uh, you know, you really realize how like transcendent the Beatles are. Right. I mean, it's, it's kids who are there who probably just, they could have seen all the EDM acts all weekend, but they came to go see Paul McCartney because they know, you know, you're seeing a Beatle live. Um, and then that moment, like, man, this is like something special. And then uh, when they, <clears throat> when he played Hey Jude, obviously like the na 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 nas, I mean, in a f- field full of people, mm-hmm. I mean, that was just like an all time music moment for me. Mm. Um, yeah. And then I, I've seen a tone with him every time. He's just, the man is a machine. Two and a half hour sets? Come on. Ugh, guy's like 95. Yeah, he's insane. <laughs> you have a former band. <laughs> I do have a former band. How how did your former band come about? Was that in college? What was the era of that gestating? Yeah, yeah. So the uh, the band was called Rio Rio. This was in San Francisco. 
um, you know, I, I had done music and stuff in college, but then in San Francisco, I kind of wanted to keep making music. And I actually found all those guys uh, on Craigslist. Get um, out. Yeah, they were, they were like sort of a band and they were looking for a keyboard player. And so uh, I went in and auditioned and, and it was great. We Get had, out. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly. And, it's you know, amazing. they're all, I keep in touch with them still. Um, they're all awesome guys. Uh, a guy, Josh, he lives in Portland. He still makes like a ton of music. Um, and he does the theme song for, for, for my podcast. We did so many, we did so much fun stuff too. And we were on a, I mean, not to pat myself on the back, but we were doing like, you know, sold out shows in some of the bigger clubs in San Francisco. We really? played like a music festival. Um, but I think, <laughs> uh, and and any of the guys in the band can attest to this. We just like, if we were looking any sort of long term thing, it was just not going to work. Like our, our personalities clashed a lot. Um, and so it got kind of, uh, you know, it got to the point where we would really like struggle to do shows together, which sounds so dramatic for like <laughs> five dudes, like just playing music. But like, <laughs> you know, it, it was, it was like, am I having fun doing this? Do I want to like really, you know, quit my job and tour with this band? Uh, you know, so it kind so of, that, that would have, that was a possibility at that stage. Yeah. I mean, if we had really like worked toward, I think so we could, like we were getting radio play down in San Francisco and in LA. Um, my God. So we were doing things like, I think, a lot of people who have bands now would love to accomplish. And I think we just weren't in the mindset to really like drop everything and do it. So, so you guys were like in the studio, you're like, I'm not working on his track. He can do that himself. <laughs> My wife is ill yeah. I need to build a bed in this studio so she can watch us record. Yeah. I had a bed made. Uh, so Tara could just sit in and, and <laughs> cr- critique everything. <laughs> Rice for breakfast, hit podcast, <laughs> best music in town. <laughs> uh, it's focused on Asians, Asian Americans in pop culture, and this was—is this was this your is your first podcast? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, how was how how was making the jump from you know big time Twitch streamer <laughs> for IMDb uh, into the podcast space? You know, I uh, have wanted, like, I've been into podcasts for a while, and I've wanted to do it. I think I like hearing myself talk, and I like talking to people, um, but I never really thought I had any idea that would be interesting or um, anything that I really would want to sit down and take the time to do. I mean, you know, it's a huge effort to do it, mm-hmm. and I think people who, people probably don't realize, oh, it's like turn on GarageBand and then talk to someone for like an hour when there's like a whole bunch uh, that goes into it. And so, and don't forget too, you reached out to me to see who'd be open to sponsoring your show coming from IMDB. And I said, you should check out half not your granny's crochet. Amanda can craft any kind of custom garment for you from her store at half Amanda's waiting to hear from you and you won't regret it. I think in the age of, um, you know, uh, cultural awareness in, in pop culture. I just felt that Asian Americans for one reason or another, were just getting like left behind. And, you know, I kind of wondered why that was. And I think because, you know, uh, 
Asian Americans, there were, there was no space for people to, to do things like that. And even though there are a ton of people in the industry who I think have interesting stories, um, to tell. And so I just kind of thought, Hey, that'd be interesting to do. And so I kind of blind emailed tons of people and got a lot of responses. Uh, you know, I, I had my strategy in the uh, subject headline. I would write like new podcasts about Asian Americans and pop culture. And I'm like, if the manager doesn't afford that along, that's <laughs> seriously, they're doing a disservice. To their yeah. Client. Yeah. So I, I had a pretty good uh, strategy behind it. And so I got, you know, the first season done. I'm recording season two right now. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, for me growing up, like, I, and I say this, that Rufio was like the only Asian dude I ever saw on TV or in a movie, right? Rufio from Hook. And so I think, you know, now when people are getting so inspired by, uh, you know, movies like Black Panther, I'm like, I wish when I was a kid, Asian American, you know, I, I had a moment like that. And so now that I think so many people listen to podcasts and, uh, you know, there's so many ways to consume it. It's not this like a niche, like, pseudo radio thing now right like everyone mm -hmm. knows what a podcast is i think is a cool way for um you know hopefully uh people to get inspired about things that they can you know be a part of and are interested in too yeah rice for breakfast returns season two only had one minisode uh <laughs> after season one stay tuned for more minisodes dead silence for three months and so hopefully season two. I know I, I, I had I actually had issues uh, with my computer as as lame of an excuse <laughs> that is. I almost had to go. I was scared to go buy a new computer. And actually for this, my computer wasn't turning on for about 20 minutes. Oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah. And then I traveled and, and, and got busy with work. But uh, yeah, I, I have uh, a couple ready to go. I'm just waiting on. And, and you know who my who I'm hoping yeah, to finally lock show. down my big uh, show. I'm, I'm being stubborn on my season two premiere, so I have a <laughs> timeline. As if I can't finalize that in, I'll, I'll move on. But um, I've had good talks, and I'm I'm hoping it happens. So I think nice. What do you think your top movie of 2018 was? Your my big word. movie guy, IMDb hot shot, <laughs> hobnobbing with celebs. <laughs> Uh, my top movie of 2018 controversial pick is actually Suspiria. Oh, um, just yes. saw it myself. This nice. Is, this is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I hadn't seen the original, so I didn't have any strong connections to the original. Um, and when, when I watched it, I was just completely floored. Uh, I'm a huge sucker for cinematography, uh, mm. and, and actually an audio in, in movies. And this just hit it both out of the park. Um, you know, like when you, the dance sequences in it. Oh, you just yeah, heard, great. Oh my God, unreal. Uh, you hear every like foot sweep and the clapping and the breaths. It was just awesome. Um, I think, I think the colors in it were, were pretty amazing. And, and, um, yeah, I mean, it was just everything about it. I thought just spoke to me. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and another thing I give it big points for is that it really, you know, in the age of 20 Marvel movies a year, uh, 10 DC <laughs> movies a year. And then, uh, you know, the sequels to whatever franchise. I love that, you know, the team there was, was bold enough to do a pretty out there movie. Uh, not really a, you know, two storyline movie with one that's not really that clear the whole time. And I think, uh, you know, something about that all just makes me appreciate it. You know, a ton. five, five stars on your letterbox. I'm looking yeah. at it right now. Five stars. 
I gave it three and a half. <laughs> but I, but you watched it and gave it a three and a half. I, yeah, and I, I I really I really enjoyed it. I, I I'm trying to think of what my negative like the sound was amazing. You're right yeah. on about that. And t- I think I wrote in my my review in terms of like th- similar themes. I preferred Hereditary. So Hereditary was my number two. Oh, uh, of the year. God, that was a what a uh, movie. A vision, as some would oh say. I don't think I've ever seen a film like that it, in it, in my years. Un- unreal. And I, I think that in, you know, 20 years from now, it's going to be revered like The Shining. It's going to be the sort of horror movie where fans of the genre are going to look at it and say, okay, at, at this point, horror was shifted again to be, yeah. you know, it, it's like the way they capture the family drama. I mean, there are some scenes in that movie. Unbelievable. I mean, the f- I was, I was like horrified by yeah. both halves of that film. It's like two movies. Yeah. And if it was just the first half and that was the horror, I would have thought the same thing. Like, this is an amazing film. Five stars. I'm yeah. terrified by this. Yeah. And then it just went into that other direction, which Amanda, my wife really didn't like the second half. Yeah. It's funny. My, uh, Tara, she liked it, my wife, but she didn't think it was that scary. And I was like, what? My God, check for a pulse on Tara, (laughs) please. To number three pick of the year. My number three was, uh, man. Paddington 2. Paddington 2 was not my number three, but that movie was incredible also. Yeah, amazing film. Uh, I think my number three, oh, was Won't You Be My Neighbor. Oh, uh, I haven't seen that. Oh, if you want to cry your eyes out, I'm not... And uh, a crier in in movies. Oh, in I general. have seen that. I'm sorry. I have oh, seen well, that. Continue. Oh my, oh my god! Here I, here I go. <laughs> <clears throat> You're not a crier oh. in general. Yeah, and the last 20 minutes of this movie like shook me to the core because mm. they spend the whole movie kind of explaining, um, you know, Fred Rogers, Mister Rogers' philosophy on life and how he thinks about communicating with people and how you should speak to one another and think about yourself and then the last 20 minutes they shift it and they ask the audience about it and like as i realized it's starting to happen more and more it was oh it was, it was just gut-wrenching and when i watched in the theater i mean everyone in the theater sat through the credits and like kind of afterwards like there was a sort of like a silent okay we, we like <laughs> went through this journey together uh yeah and then the weird part was i think you said there was a, a guy with his grandmother on his shoulders and she was watching the whole movie from his shoulders. So strange. Yeah, yeah. Rogers Mania is still alive and well. Thanks to my dear friend Ian for coming onto the show and telling me why the Beatles mean so much to him and many others. Remember that scene in The Simpsons where they sang, the B sharp sang on the top of uh, Moe's, and George Harrison scrolled by. He's like, That's been done. Two episodes left this season. Now is the time to get your emails into favespod at gmail.com to have your thoughts on the show, the season thus far, the pins, uh, and have those thoughts read on the air. Finally, if you've been digging the show these past few months, let me know on Twitter. Let the favespod account on Twitter know. Shoot a tweet out to let us know your thoughts on the Beatles and this very episode. We're almost done this season. See you. Goodbye.